Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management on WTMJ. Money Talk, Saturday, uh, November 3rd. I'm Danny Clayton, Dave Spano, uh, rejoining me in the studio. Thanks for coming in early and talking a little bit about that trip to Italy with, uh, with Rose. Well, was that fun? It really was. I'm glad we're back uh, to get back to, to business. We've got elections coming up, but I'm telling you, the trip to Italy and Fox World Travel was spectacular. Thank you to Rose, Fox World Travel, and, and Insight Vacations. <laughs> While you were there, how much of the market did you watch? I was on it. Well, it's, it's funny because I, you know, I have the cell. I called Verizon right. and told them we we're going to be there, and for ten dollars a day, it was unlimited texting, unlimited uh, email, and phone calls. So I was working. Uh, it give you a little agita, a little agita, a little stomachache. Really, exactly right? Because right, there was a, a volatile couple of weeks, and here you are, half a world away, um, and it's just. And you have, I mean, since I've been on this show, which has been three, four years now, volatility is a word that creeps in and out. It quieted down for a little bit, and then we've been talking about volatility for a while, and we've certainly seen it. We did, we have seen it, and you know, uh, one of those mornings we called an investment policy committee meeting. We yep. got everybody together, and uh, Derek and I had a nice conversation. And so, you know, we, we we did some things that we thought were appropriate. You know, volatility certainly has rocketed up. Just yesterday alone, there was a 500 point swing. Yesterday alone, it was 300 up and 200 down and settled down somewhere in between. So we had 500 yesterday. I think earlier this week, there was a 900-point swing. There are. And so volatility has certainly come back, and there's a lot of reasons why that's happening. But we have to remember that there's an election 72 hours away. There's certainly a lot of conversations. We'll talk to Derek about that a little bit later, about a blue wave, which is the Democrats taking both sides, or a red wall where they where the, the Republicans maintain control. Either way, it will have some surprises on Tuesday, and we'll have to see what happens on Wednesday. The concern on both sides is if it's a, if it's a blue wave, there'll be a change in policy, and if it's a red wave, what does that mean to interest rates? But, but either way, and you, you guys have said this before, is at least we would know. And that settled things down a little bit? That's right. Well, yeah. you know, of course, you've always heard this, this thing that the market doesn't like uncertainty. Right. Well, investing is uncertainty. Uh, and what we're seeing right now and what we saw in October was the concern of what is going to happen going forward, uh, you know, because now they're going to say this China thing. And, and, the, and the Pence was talking and said, you know, we're having trouble with China. The market didn't like that. They said, if that's going to happen, is it going to affect earnings on United States companies? And they said, maybe we should take earnings down in the U.S. That was a big part of the concern. You know, I think the casual investor needs to keep in mind that, that you know, sometimes just a tweet or a comment mm -hmm. or a rumor can send the market in either directions. There was a, there was a in, talk in about... In the short term. 
in the short term. Yeah, yep. yeah, for yep. sure. In fact, we saw that. We saw that yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, we might have a China deal. No, we don't have a China deal. I mean, there, there was your swing. And in, in tr- there's a difference between investors and traders. Yep. And the traders are people who do this on a daily basis and are trying to trade the market based on information. The fact is we like to know you know, what, ha- what is reality and not what's going forward. And so we look at what are the true earnings of a company? What are the true sales of a company? And then can we put a price to earnings multiple on that? That's something that's empirical. Trying to guess what's going to happen or what, is, what tweet is going to happen. I mean, that's speculation. Yeah. And there is a difference between speculating and investing for the long term. Right. And working with professionals, there was a week uh, at Annex where, in fact, there was a day, and I think it was a tough day in the market. And I just asked you, I said, what do you think on days like this? Because, you know, I'm still learning this, learn a lot of this. And you said, I, I think these are opportunity days. Well, we, we have been buying the dips now for a number of years. And you have to say, you know, we're now almost 10 years into this bull market. Does it look like it's coming to an end? And that's a question that we get a lot. And you'd have to say, let's look at some things. We're looking at 250,000 jobs that came out yesterday yeah. morning. Spectacular. We're looking at an unemployment rate that we haven't seen since the world since World War II. Okay? 1946 we've seen an unemployment rate this low. We have a GDP growth rate of 3.5%, a number that we hadn't seen at all in this recovery. And you say none of those things suggest that we're at the end of, of, this, of this growth or that a recession is coming. Now, things can change. I mean, we've seen things blow up. We've seen uh, terrorist actions cause a change in attitude. We've seen the elections cause a change in attitude. But as we're sitting here today, 72 hours before an election, the numbers make sense. It looks like we have some growth left in this market, and that's why I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't get too nervous just quite yet. You know, it's interesting when uh, Apple reported, um, they came in with what appeared to be really, really good numbers, and then the next day their stock was down, and, and, or, or an Amazon. I mean, the, the whole string of, of fan companies is like, wait a minute, how good do these companies need to be? And it gets down to the fundamentals that we always talk about. We do talk about the fundamentals. The story with Apple, of course, was the fact that they said they're going to be less transparent now obviously right. we love transparency yeah. and so they said they're going to be less transparent in, in the number of uh, information that they give us of course the analysts did not like that at all because their job is to forecast what their earnings are going to be uh and, and you know there's some people who say there was political uh, over overtones sure. into that I hope that's not the case because, you know, if once politics start to creep into running a business, that could be, you know, I've always talked about this. Don't invest your politics. You know, we've seen this when uh, when President Obama became president. So those who were hardcore Republicans said the world's going to hell in a handbasket and I'm going to not invest. Well, they were wrong. Same thing when Trump got elected. They said, well, the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket. Well, guess what? They've been wrong. Don't invest your politics. Make sure that you're investing on what your goals are, what your risk tolerances are, and what really really uh, is important to you. Yeah, we got about 40 seconds, but it sounds like when when the volatility was happening, we got some calls, but we didn't get a ton of calls from our clients. Well, and I, and I think that's because we spend a lot of time talking about these things that were you know, what is it your tolerance for risk? You know, we're not just selling somebody an investment product like a brokerage firm. Yeah, you know, here's the the product yeah. du jour. Well, there's probably going to be a lot of volatility when you build it into a financial plan. When you start it with a financial plan, that is the entire difference. Okay. Welcome back. You going to get out in the yard this weekend? Of course. You want to come over and help me rake? <laughs> uh, I got an appointment in Fox Point. So, <laughs> exactly. all right. It's Money Talk Annex Wealth Management. We'll talk with Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer, next on WTMJ. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ.
It's Money Talk Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, November 3rd, the time change weekend, by the way. Just want to remind. And this is the land of low unemployment. What is it, Dave? 49, 47 years, something like that? 49-year low. That's exactly right. And Derek Felsky is now joining us. And Derek, you know, that report that came out yesterday morning was as expected, but the numbers, again, are very, very strong. No, they are. Um, It was a seasonal adjusted increase of about 250,000, which actually was above Wall Street estimates. The unemployment remained at 3.5. But the nugget in there that I thought was most significant was that wage growth actually is annualized now at up 3.1%. That's the strongest it's been since the financial crisis. So since 2009, we're finally starting to see earnings increase. And there's probably a lot that goes into it and why we haven't seen that. You know, we talk a lot about inflation. We'll get into that in a second. But the reasons why, there's probably many, but the reasons why we have seen that the wage rate has not been going up is because there's two things. I don't want to get too wonky. There's the unemployment rate that we all see, and then there's this unemployment or U6 number, and that number is still out there. But it's come down. And, and it's, I think it's possibly being negatively impacted by just purely by demographics. The, the workforce is getting older people retire. And that leads us to inflation. The inflation question that remains out there in the Federal Reserve and the things that they have done just last week, Jerome Powell said we are, in quotes, a long ways away from a neutral interest rate. Well, and and that's supposition. In fact, the Fed, I I don't think really the Fed knows what the the neutral rate is. Historically, it's been somewhere between 1% and 2% above the rate of inflation. So that would get a Fed funds rate of north of 4, which is a long way from where we are today. But again, this is a different kind of economy than we've seen historically. There's a lot more debt. It's a global economy. It affects the dollar. It affects other things. I mean, some of the inflation indicators that I look at are actually pretty positive. We've seen oil prices drop. We've seen gasoline prices drop, although it takes a long time to see that at the pump. Um, And we've seen the dollar strengthen, which in in some ways does the Fed's job for them. We mentioned uh, off air a little bit about what's happening around the world with China and the like. And there was a term that was being used earlier in the year, which was called global synchronization, and that thing has kind of fallen off the bandwagon. Yeah, we've talked about that. I mean, global growth is more mixed than it had been, but but still, the world, the global economy is growing. Uh, U.S. grew 3.5% uh, last quarter. We're looking for probably another 3% number uh, this quarter. And China is growing at 6.5, still a very healthy growth rate, but not like it was 10, 15 years ago. And so it's still a good number. China is clearly part of the conversation. There's no doubt about it. Tariffs are never really good, and I understand the president is pulling on levers to try to get a better deal, and the tariffs are a situation that we have to watch. But, you know, after the elections, if we get some movement out of the China conversation, this could be a significant contributor. Well, you saw it on Friday. I mean, there was talk overnight that the China, they were drafting an agreement for a trade deal with China, and that was later debunked. But basically just shows you that people want to buy stocks. They're just waiting for this trade uncertainty to abate to some degree. And how did the, what was the performance like this week in emerging markets? Well, emerging markets, we talked, I think, last week about how you want to look at some of the more beaten down asset classes and sectors, particularly as capital gain distributions and mutual fund tax selling abates, and emerging markets have been an anathema to any globally diversified portfolio. But I was really kind of heartened that emerging markets were up over 5% for the week, led by China, which was up about 6 And as well as Europe did very well as well, up 5.5%. So you talk about what's happening with Hong Kong and Europe, and maybe 
when we're seeing this sloshing around of money, maybe it is not just moving from sector to sector, but maybe internationally as well. You can make a valuation argument for international equities. I mean, I've, I've been saying that really for a year, um, and you have seen slower growth there. I think the catalyst may be next year is if if the U.S. you know shows the rest of the world that a fiscal initiative that this stage of the business cycle is productive and it keeps the Republicans, say, in power, then you might see that kind of uh, groundswell overseas where they'll start launching fiscal stimulative measures. They've already talked about that in China. So one last question is earnings are up 77 percent and they have beat their forecasts. But there is this term that's been thrown around called peak earnings. What is that? You know, there's a differentiation. There's peak growth and then there's peak earnings. So, for example, we, you know, we obviously believe that S&P growth rate will slow on a year-over-year basis, particularly next year when we add anniversary, the positive effect of the tax cuts. But that doesn't mean negative growth. That just means a slower rate of growth. And given the recent correction that we've had in the markets and, and the rising earnings estimates that we've seen, the S&P is now cheaper than it was at the beginning of the year. Dirk Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth. Uh, Dave Spano, thank you. It's 1022. It's Money Talk. Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ. Spreading the wealth every Saturday. Here's more Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Warning, warning, we are going to talk about taxes. I'm just kidding, Mandy. <laughs> Welcome back. Mandy Nowyshinsky, our tax planner at Annex Wealth Management and a CFP, right? Exactly. And that and marathon runner. Is that what you are, too? Half marathon. Half marathon Yeah, got to work my way up. All right, here we are in November. Welcome to November. We're year-end tax planning. It's that time, huh? It is. You know, when we talk about year-end tax planning, we talk about it, you know, in December. But you kind of start thinking about it now because by the time you get to December, if you want to do some advanced tech techniques, you're really going to run out of time soon. So we start talking about it now. Are these for individuals or businesses or what? This is you no know, more focused on individuals and kind of getting a hold on what their tax picture looks like for 2018 with all these changes that we've had with tax law. Now, are these things that would be surprises otherwise start to fill out the, the tax return and there are things that we forgot about? This is more kind of taking a, like a snapshot of where you are today. What income have you had so far year to date? And then we kind of look to see what do we anticipate for the remainder of the year. For those who hold mutual funds or invest in a mutual fund, the biggest question is capital gain distributions. I mean like haul out statements and things? How do we find this out? For Annex clients, it's very simple. We have a tax estimation report that we run here. Otherwise, if you have outside assets, yeah, it's pulling up your most recent statement, which would be hopefully soon the October statements. Got it. Number one, Roth conversion. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so Roth conversions are taking money from your IRA, paying tax on it strategically, and then putting it into a Roth IRA where it grows tax-free. You typically do this in low tax years. For a lot of people, that'd be the first couple years after retirement before Social Security and then required minimum distributions start. So we kind of look at your picture, and if you're in one of, we call it a sweet spot, those first couple years post-retirement, you know, we'll look at that and see if, you would, if you're a good candidate for that. Caution, though. We used to be able to undo them. So you get to tax time. You did this Roth conversion. You go, oh, my goodness, that was a mistake. You could undo it. Put it back into the IRA. Pretend it never happened. Can't do that anymore. There's no undoes. Was the undo a good thing? It was because what it was is, let's say you did a plan and 
you did this Roth conversion and your income was actually higher than you anticipated, you would end up paying more tax than you thought. So instead of paying more tax, you undo it and kind of pretend it didn't happen. So who was the big meanie that took it away? <laughs> tax reform took it away. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, tax reform. Okay, on to realizing gains. Could you define that, please? When I talk about realizing gains, I'm looking at uh, taxable accounts. So if you own stocks or ETFs or a mutual fund, you look at realizing gain or selling the asset, paying tax on the gain. Again, you would do that in a low income year because in lower income tax brackets for federal, capital gains rate is 0%. So you could sell that stock, pay no tax from a federal perspective, and then rebuy it. Kind of resets your cost basis. So if you know in a couple of years when taxes are higher for you, you've already paid tax on some of that appreciation at 0%. So it's kind of a way to help with distribution planning or if you anticipate needing assets to put yourself in a better tax position. That sounds sophisticated, complicated. You, you need to work with a tax professional for that, I would think. You would, and mainly because we look at tax brackets. So if you're in a lower tax bracket, granted, if you go above it, it's just that $1 you go over is taxed at the next rate. So if you're $1 over 12%, that one next dollar is taxed at 22%. So that's a 10% difference. That can be a lot. Have you seen that happen? Yes. And the you know, $1 is okay. That's a rounding error. But when you go 10, 20,000 over, then you're like, oh, 10% on that is a lot. Rounding error. I'm going to use that. <laughs> Let's talk about charitable giving. That, that gets into year-end tax planning. It really does. And that's the biggest change, again, is tax reform and how they changed itemized deductions for us most people won't be itemizing anymore. Standard deduction is much, much higher, and they change some of the itemized deduction structure, so most people won't be itemizing. But if you give to charity, you need to review how much you've given. Have you given a decent amount where you may already be itemizing this year, where it might make sense to pull in next year's donations and actually make them in December? We call that you know doubling up or lumping okay. your donations, because that way you get a benefit from a tax perspective of giving to charity. You're just giving a year ahead of time, so that way you get that tax benefit. Have you seen anything where churches or charities uh, are going to get clobbered? Yes, so I have seen. So, you know, churches, charities all, all across the board have seen less inflows oh, yeah. because of this. And, you know, people give for various of reasons, but they might be structuring the way they give differently now because of tax reform. And they are definitely seeing less revenue. We're talking about year-end tax planning. And our last one is the reminder about tax law changing with real estate taxes. Is that yeah, it? Yeah. So one of the things, you know, a lot of people may have done in the past is doubling up real estate taxes because in the state of Wisconsin you can't you have that flexibility to pay two years worth of real estate taxes in one year. I don't know who these people are that can do that. But okay, <laughs> there, there are those people. So there are okay. those people out there. So you would be paying, you know, this year's 2018s in January of 19, and then you would pay 2019 yep. real estate taxes in December. Get two years. Tax reform took that away. They basically said between what you pay to the state of Wisconsin in income taxes and what you pay in real estate taxes is capped at $10,000. So doubling up, it's lost because mm -hmm. you're going to be over that $10,000 cap and you don't get to deduct. It's over that $10,000 cap. So now we're saying you don't need to double up anymore. What I've been telling people we work with here is just continue to pay on the same schedule you always have been paying on. If you pay in December every year, just keep paying in December of every year. There's a Wisconsin property tax credit of $300. So every year you pay your property taxes. State of Wisconsin gives you $300 on your tax return. If you miss a year, you lose that $300 to the state. Within the tax professional world, is everybody expecting just a 
just a train wreck this year? Yes, because, you know, we're in November and we're still waiting for clarification on some of the tax reform items. I mean, we're trying to do year-end planning and we're still got some questions out there that we need clarification on. So by the time actually filing season comes, we're hoping to have some more clarification. Mandy Nowashinsky, our tax planner at Annex Wealth Management, also a CFP and a half marathoner. She doesn't <laughs> run for the fitness. She runs to reduce the stress. Yes. Right? <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Joining me, Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development here at Annex Wealth Management, CFP and a CDFA. Anything else? Did you <laughs> no, add anything enough. else? Okay. So we're going to talk about the CDFA part of that, and that's a certified divorce. Financial analyst. Financial analyst. Right. And it happens. You're right in the middle of market volatility. How do you approach that? It's scary, Danny. Volatility makes people nervous, even under the best of circumstances. So especially if you're on the cusp of change, same thing goes for divorce, although now you could be in a situation where, again, I love this example, Danny, you know, you and I are married, and then we decide to split up, and now what was ours in this nice little nest egg, all of a sudden, we might not have enough to support our own households, and we may have to tap into investments that were meant for retire just to cash flow our needs now. Do we go to our financial planner and we say, okay, put us in a neutral position on everything, or do the investments keep chugging along? See, that's a really great question. This is why a lot of times you hear about buckets, right? So yeah. you want to figure out what where that retirement replacement paycheck is going to come from. Same thing when you're in divorce. Where are your new expenses going to come from? And a lot of times there are split duties in a household as well, Danny, when it comes to finance. Let's say, you know, I did the investments. Sorry, it's my background. But, you did the budgeting. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, we both have to be accountable in a split household for both, especially when you've got the markets going crazy. And one of us, most likely, will have to refinance the house into just our name. So this really becomes a timing question. And it's so important to do a couple of things. First off, communicate with your, your planner and make sure they understand your cash flows really well. <laughs> and so sit with them right away. The, the second thing is take a look at your investments and make sure that you can get the liquidity out of them. If you're not the person who's been watching your investments all that time, there may be things, instruments in there that you can't get your hands on easily. Cash flow is going to change, right? Oh, Somebody's got to move. Somebody's right. got to move out. Do you rebudget? You have to. And if there are children involved, you have to rebudget even more. So let's just flip to post-divorce right now, right? You're looking at your income for the first time, you're looking at your outflows, and then you're looking at retirement, and it becomes this, wow, can I even do this? This is where a financial planner can really help you take a look at the tax implications. You're in a new tax bracket right now, too, after that divorce. Remember, it doesn't matter if you get divorced even on the 30th of December. If that's when the court says that decree is final, you are considered divorced for that entire year. You don't get to get that double deduction of filing joint. So this is a tax question. Also, have you ever run into the case where people say that oh, we can't afford to get divorced? Oh, yeah. I have people that come to me all the time and, and say, can I afford to get a divorce? Or at the very beginning, maybe they've just been served, which is the worst feeling. Your, your knees are knocked out, I mean, men and women. And, and they just say, oh, my gosh, I've been working all my life toward this. This was my retirement nest egg. Now what? So we have one case right now where older, retired, it's hitting them. And 
the main money earner, this was actually kind of a smart move, said, I I know that my wife doesn't have much, so it's going to come from me. So what I'm going to do is take the money and I'm just going to go ahead and split it because I'm comfortable in investments, understanding they go up and down, but I'm worried about having an equitable, not fair, but equitable split through the courts. So this is one strategy that we can do as a CDFA too, is give you kind of a feel for maybe your spouse is very skittish in a market like this, but maybe you understand it. There are ways that we can help from an investing point of view to make sure that that bucket is right for you. Now, if that person needed cash flow from it, though, again, they need to make sure that they understand where that's going to come from, that they're not in investments like non-publicly traded REITs, real estate investment trusts, that can get gated. You might not even be able to get to your money. So it's important for the person listening, if this is you, if you're maybe the budgeter and not used to investments, and this is a fresh transition for you, know what you have. Sit with your advisor, go through everything, go through your cash flows, but make sure that your investments will provide that for you in the short term. Trying to find the right order. So talk to an attorney first, then an advisor or? No, you know, not always. So the thing is, in a divorce, there are a couple things to remember. An attorney is a law specialist. They're not a financial specialist. So a lot of times people are thinking, ooh, divorces are so expensive. I just want to do it as simply and easily as possible. Maybe we could even do it pro se without an attorney. I do not recommend that for a plethora of reasons. Certainly, if you already have an advisor that you trust, no matter who who that is, a CPA, an attorney, or a financial advisor, sit with them first because they will also likely have some referrals or outside resources that they can refer to you, whether it's attorneys or CPAs or financial advisors. I I recommend all those. See, CDFA is the financial component of it. Being able to sit down and so you're newly divorced, Annie, or just getting it, and I'm able to say, all right, let's take a look at your cash flows, what you're going to need going forward for you. And let's be realistic with this. Let's look at your income. Let's look at how much longer you may have to work. Let's look at what the tax, the new tax implication will be. Can you believe we're in November already? Amazing, isn't it? Deanne, thank you for coming in. Hey, thanks for having me. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. It is 1040. I want to uh, tell you about one of the things that we've got coming up, which is called Navigating the Markets. And this is going to be very well-timed because uh, it's going to be post-midterm elections. This happens on November 13th at 6 o'clock at the Fister. This is kind of an introduction to how Annex operates. It is a fast-paced discussion. Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer, is going to be up front along with Dave Spano. Questions, answers, discussion, fast-paced. It's really good. You need to register for that, and you can do that at AnnexWealth.com. Again, this is called Navigating the Markets. Happens at the Fister. Uh, officially at 6 o'clock, we get a little reception ahead of time, and then we get going. It won't go much past like 8.15, 8.20, uh, Navigating the Markets. You can get more details at AnnexWealth.com. Watch your investments grow with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, November 3rd, the time change weekend. Fall ahead, fall sideways. Fall forward. What is it? Fall, fall forward. forward. Well, perfect guy for that, Dirk Felsky, hanging out <laughs> for Ask Annex. So, Ask Annex, you can find that at uh, AnnexWealth.com. You guys ready to roll? Here we go. Jim asks, what about gold? 
Boy, that was a simple question. Gold, gold's interesting. You know, it doesn't pay a dividend. It costs money to store. I think if, if one were looking at gold, I would take a look at some of these gold mining stocks, like a Newmont Mining, for example, where you've got a really nice dividend and get paid to wait. Basically, what's hampering gold is a strong dollar. The dollar's up about 7% year to date. To the, if you believe the dollar is going to start to come off, if you think the Fed may blink, for example, and, and perhaps guide people to maybe two rate increases next year instead of three, I think you could get a nice upside pop in gold and and gold miners. It's number two, Matt asks, what's the best way to invest in the energy sector without having positions in wind or solar? Well, typically what we've done with energy is we use the S&P Spider. It's an ETF, XLE. Those areas of the energy market don't have much in the way of market cap, so they wouldn't have much of an impact on the performance of that particular ETF. So that would be one way to do it. So let's talk a little bit about exchange-traded funds and mutual funds. They have certainly got a lot of coverage over October because some of the volatility was blamed on exchange-traded funds. And I had a question offline, really the difference between an ETF and an index, and obviously there is a difference. There is. I mean, an, an ETF essentially is an index, but it's publicly traded. It's tradable during the day. So if you have a stomach for volatility and you like to you know, pay attention to CNBC and the like, um, ETFs are more interesting for you than, say, an actively managed mutual fund. Actively managed mutual funds settle at 3 o'clock. They tend to price near NAV. You do have tax issues that are involved. And that's one thing I, I definitely want to caution our listeners, that over the next couple of months, there are going to be significant capital gain distributions from mutual funds. So if you're looking to add exposure to the equity markets in a taxable account, you might want to consider an ETF where you don't have that issue. And if you buy the mutual fund, you're going to get some of the gains, a distribution of some of the gains, even though you didn't participate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just think about Amazon. A lot of funds own Amazon. If they took profits in Amazon in the last couple of weeks, that's a big winner. That's big gains that you did not participate in. But you get the tax bill. So one thing I do want to cover, though, is in the exchange-traded fund market, you mentioned trading towards NAV. Now, that's a little deep into the weeds, but I think people need to understand that because it's significant. One of the reasons we don't like to use fixed income ETFs is the underlying market is rather illiquid. So to the degree that there's heavy selling pressure, say, in JNK, which is the high one of the high-yield bond ETFs, if people get nervous, like it breaks the 200-day moving average or something like that, you could sell it below NAV. And then the, the creator of this ETF has to then go into the illiquid market to offset that. And that can take some time. And so there's some pricing pressure that goes on. Let's see if we can get one more in. Ask Annex. You can do that at AnnexWealth.com slash ask. All right, Tony, what does Annex use to rate stocks? Is that like asking what the uh, secret sauce is in the stadium? Well, I think there's a lot that goes into that, right, Derek? Yeah, well, there's, you know, there are qualitative factors, you know, like, you know, management, listening to conference calls, uh, assessing the economy and things like that. And then there are also quantitative things that we use. We we screen a universe of dividend-paying stocks along a variety of metrics, valuation, free cash flow yield, earnings momentum, price momentum, et cetera, and try to ferret that list down to about 40 names that we feel belong in a dividend growth strategy, which, which ought to hold up pretty well in a more choppy market, because historically, in choppier markets, dividends do tend to cushion the downside on an individual stock position. But when you're when you're looking at the data, you know, those matrix that you look at is just one of the, one of the things that go into the sauce, as Danny said. No, absolutely. And, you know, there's experience, but valuation is, all, is a, a very key component component. And one of the things that's been frustrating, I think, for a lot of managers the last couple of years was just a persistent strength of some of the largest weightings in the S&P 500, despite valuations, just names like Netflix and Amazon, which are very hard to value. Lastly, uh, Apple, uh, speaking of technology, Apple had a tough day. 
Apple had a tough day on Friday. I mean, that was the pattern. You know, companies would report a beat, but they'd sell off no matter what. And I think Apple just exacerbated things by saying that they're no longer going to disclose unit sales of iPhones and so on. That's something that bothers analysts. It's right near, you know, the 200-day on Apple is about 193. That would probably be a logical support level, close around 207. So it might be another 5 6% down. Dirk Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Dave Spano, thank you very much. That's Ask Annex. You can get your questions in. AnnexWealth.com slash ask. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. It's Money Talk Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, November 3rd. You guys rested up from our lightning round of yeah, Ask Annex. Take a breath. Yeah, Derek, off the floor. Okay, here we go. It's our final segment. Um, should we take a uh, look at October, a little postmortem? You know, I think we have to. You know, October has been, uh, you know, the volatility is legendary in October. It's been doing this for a long time. I remember back, all the way back to 1987, Derek, we had a, a rough year and beyond. But you look at seasonality and we talk about sell and man go away. And that means that the beginning of the fourth quarter, which obviously begins with October, those are better times of the year. Absolutely, particularly in a year with a midterm election. In fact, the S&P has not declined in the 12 months following a midterm election since 1946 over the following 12 months. So that along with the, with the normal seasonal strength, the more attractive valuations, the positive corporate fundamentals, the stock buybacks and all the rest suggests to me that we ought to be positioned for a stronger market into year end. Well, I don't think you can discount at all what people were thinking about in October, and you know, obviously we talked earlier about what the Fed's impact was, but there certainly was a lot written about the fact that there could have been or could be a blue wave, and if that happens, what does that mean to investor confidence? What does a blue wave mean? The blue wave is the term that's been thrown around where the blue, the Democrats, would win both the House and the Senate, and what's been written is if they do that, now I, I don't want to get into politics here, but if they do that, is there a change of policy? So you're teasing next week's show already. <laughs> so, so, we're, so we're talking about rolling back the tax cuts to fund an infrastructure structure package or something like that? But that's what's been thrown around. Well, right now, the, the odds makers say it's 85% the Republicans retain control of the Senate. Uh, it's, as, of, as of yesterday. As right? of yesterday. And the most recent odds on a Democratic squeaker are about 10%. So if I recall, in 2016... The betting odds did not reflect the likelihood that, that President Trump would become President Trump. So my guess is these forecasts are, are subject to change. I don't know that you necessarily position yourself in front of the election, but I would not discount the possibility there could be a surprise. You know, I was reading this book called Capitalism in America by Alan Greenspan. It's a light read of about 500 pages. But one of the things... <laughs> That's a weapon. That's not a book. <laughs> That's right. But one of the things he points out, which is interesting, is in the 1936 elections, FDR won the Electoral College 523 to 8. That's, you know, almost 99% of the Electoral College. But then in 38, the midterm elections, he lost 72 House seats. So these things change. And, you know, I, I'll have to tell you on Tuesday what's really going to happen because I can't forecast it. No, I, I, I can't either. But what I will say is once you get past midterms and people have an idea of what, what Congress is going to look like, you know, historically, gridlock hasn't exactly been a, a bad thing. And to the degree that you not don't have to fear 
new regulations and the like, which would be very hard to get through uh, the Senate and the House, then companies, I think, will you know start to spend, spend money on CapEx, take some of that repatriated money and, and buy back their own shares, hire people, and so on. So we touched on seasonality just a bit, but as we head into the last quarter of the year in the first quarter of 2019, what are our expectations on earnings? Our expectations are for the fourth quarter roughly a 20 to 25 percent increase year over year. That number will go down to around 10 percent uh, going into next year. So still pretty pretty good growth to the degree that the multiple remains the same. You could expect a 10 percent return on the S&P. That's obviously pure conjecture on my part. Uh, but barring a, a Fed mistake or some geopolitical accident, the corporate fundamentals underlying the stock market remain very sound. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the Fed earlier on in the show, and we saw saw a pretty funny uh, graph, if you will, and it showed the height of the Federal Reserve chairpersons and the rate of, of the interest rates, or at least the path of interest rates, and it goes all the way back to Paul Volcker, who appears to be about 6'6 six, six in this No, I met Paul Volcker. He's very, he, he was very tall. Right, and then you moved uh, to Greenspan, and then you moved to Bernanke, and all the way down uh, to Janet Yellen, which shows that she's about 5'2", and now we're going the other way. Well, it's pretty hard to go much lower than five foot two. <laughs> exactly. So, but the idea is now that there's a taller person in the Federal Reserve chairperson's role and interest rates are going to start coming back up. But, you know, the, the really funny part about this is the fact that as long as you and I have been in this business, which is in the since the 1980s, interest rates have been declining. They have. I mean, I never thought I'd see the 10-year yield at 1.3% in my lifetime. I also never thought I'd see negative interest rates in overseas markets. And that just gives you some sense of how exaggerated and prolonged this period of easy money has been. But people who are worried about the Fed ought to realize that we are not still not in a tightening mode. It is the Fed funds rate and the rate of inflation are roughly the same. That is not a tight policy. Exactly. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Derek. That's it. It's Annex Wealth and Money Talk on WTMJ website, AnnexWealth.com. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC. Another nearly sleepless night. You're used to it, right? But do you really ever get used to staring at the ceiling because your partner has a snoring problem? And is it the real problem, the fact that this nightly annoyance is putting a serious strain on your relationship? I'm Dr. Mudden Candula. At Advent, we realize just how much impact your partner's snoring issues can have on your life and relationships. And we can help you, like we've helped thousands of others, because we offer simple in-office snoring and sleep apnea solutions. And our physicians are among the best in the world. Relationships are hard enough. It's time for both of you to sleep well, lose the fatigue, and get back to a great relationship by putting your partner's snoring problem to bed for good. Visit AdventKnows.com because Advent knows when you breathe well, you live better. The road to the playoffs only gets tougher. In the stretch, we need to have one of those signature wins midseason. Don't expect the green and gold to back down from a challenge. Touchdown, and the Packers aren't going anywhere today. They are here to play. It's a Sunday night showdown in New England. At the end of the day, we got to find a way to get done on the road. Our Packers game day coverage kicks off tomorrow night at 4 with WTMJ opening drive. Here the home of the Packers since 1929. News Radio WTMJ, Milwaukee. 
at 11 o'clock.